Thank you, Father, for your love and your care and your concern for us, your children. Thank you for these good reminders that we can trust in you and you are trustworthy, that your word is reliable. Father, we admit that uh, we really compress and fill our lives with many things. And so thank you for these hours on Sunday morning where we can sit down and be still and remind ourselves of who you are and that you are in control and that you have a plan for us. Father, help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have tender hearts. Help us to have clear thinking that we would receive your word today. Thank you for the great testimonies in your word of people who've gone on before us through whom you have worked and who now stand as our example. Father, may your Holy Spirit have a great freedom to work in us that we would be careful to walk in the truth, to be your humble servants. Help us now to have tender hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the very formative years of my life for ministry was the year of 83-84 after I had finished Bible college, graduating, graduated and was waiting for Janet to finish her schooling so we could then get married. I took an internship position at a church called Grace Gospel Church in Huntington, West Virginia. It was a great ministry there for many years. And what a great opportunity it was for me to serve. It's a church of over a thousand people at over 150 kids in their youth group. And I was really a youth ministry intern. But after I got there, I realized that, um, and even after, I've, uh, after I left, I realized that my life had been greatly impacted by the ministry of the senior pastor that year. I was able to sit under his preaching ministry on Sunday evenings only due to the nature of my responsibilities. And, and I remember he preached through the life of David that winter and how that impacted my life, his, his uh, modeling, his, the way he preached, and then hearing from him through the word. His name was Bill Rudd, and uh, he's still uh, an active pastor up in Muskegon, Michigan now. And I remember the, uh, throughout the year, as pastoral interns get to do, you go to staff meeting, board meeting, participate in the, in the leadership of the ministry, and we would gather in Pastor Bill's office for staff meetings, and I remember one day he told us a story that was quite profound. He reached in his desk drawer, and he laid up on his desk a big hunting knife that was in a sheath that he laid on his desk, and he told us a story about that knife. One day, years earlier, in his ministry in Michigan, he had come from Michigan, he went back to Michigan, from Huntington, West Virginia there. In his ministry, in an earlier ministry up in Michigan, he had been making some visits before he went home one evening, and he had to make a visit on a certain street, and as he had parked his car and gone up to make his visit, he had a sense from the Spirit of God that there was a certain house right there that he needed to go up and knock on their door. Do you know that feeling? He didn't know, know the people. He didn't know, you know, he wanted to get home. Supper's waiting. He made his visit, and as he made his visit in the house that he needed to visit, he came out, and there was that house, and there was that sense in him that he needed to go knock on the door of this house. So he went across the street before he went to his car, and he just went up on the porch. And as I remember, he had to knock uh, several times, but finally... A gentleman came to the door and invited him in. Pastor Bill went on to tell the story of how he led that man to Christ in his kitchen. 
where moments before, as Pastor Bill was making his visit, he had sat in his kitchen, he had taken this hunting knife and positioned it in such a way to plunge it into his own body to end his life right there in his kitchen. And right when he was ready to do that, the knock came on the door from Pastor Bill. And instead of bleeding out and entering eternity in that way in his kitchen floor, he prayed there to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and it changed his life. Pastor Bill had kept that knife as a reminder of how the Word of God can interrupt and intercept and redirect our lives. Isn't that a great story? Don't you love stories where people heading one direction encounter the Word of God and it totally redirects them. We always hear such great stories like this at the Gideon banquet every fall that the the local Gideons and a number of Gideons here in our church, and it's a great ministry for any of you men who are are businessmen, um, find out from Ed Catterton or Roy Martin or any of the Gideons that are involved um, that they actually, Gideons now meet here at our church, Saturday mornings and Tuesday evenings some. And they always tell such great stories about how just passing out the Word of God, how through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God comes into contact with people at just the right time. I remember a few years ago hearing a story that's like my all-time favorite, and these Gideons have hundreds of these kinds of stories, true stories where the Word of God interrupts and redirects. And I remember a story that they told about a guy being at a school in Brazil where they were handing out Bibles, and some punk took his Bible, his New Testament that they handed out, cursed the Gideon, and threw it up on the school roof right in front of him. And sitting up on the roof of the school was the school janitor who in all of his despair was about to end his life, and here a New Testament flies on his feet. He bends over, picks up the New Testament, is gloriously saved, doesn't commit suicide, and lives happily ever after, I guess. The Word of God interrupting and redirecting lives. That's what our story in God's Word this morning is about as we return to that great book of Genesis that we've been been in for a number of months, and I hope you're not weary of it. We're going to be in it for a much longer time. And it's very interesting now, some of the stories that we're going to encounter, and so I encourage you and invite you right now to take your Bible, and let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And we're at a pivotal hinge point in the book of Genesis. If you've been around any amount of time, you know that uh, uh, we've been through creation and the fall and the flood, and we'll review all those chapters in an upcoming time because we're going to keep those in front of you. But when we hit chapter 11, that's where we were a couple weeks ago, before the Sunday before Palm Sunday, we had that story of, once again, man rebelling against God, building this great tower at Babel, and God dispersing the people out through mixing up their languages. And so the nations, are, peoples are spread across the world and nations are established through predominantly the three sons, actually through the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And you'll recall that it was through Noah's son Shem that he was given a promise of blessing. And out of Shem comes the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and uh, we begin now in chapter 12 in God's Word when Moses is writing down this historical count on the, in the book of beginnings. The way to think of it is how it's kind of funneling down now. We started out with this broad picture, and though we've dealt with individuals, Adam, Noah, and some people like that, Lamech, 
We've, the, the story of God's word is going to narrow now. And God, in the first 11 chapters, is essentially dealing with mankind as a whole. He's dealing with all the people in the world all the time. Like the flood and so forth. And yes, like I said, there's some detail of individuals. But now when we get to chapter 12, through the promise of God, way back in the garden... When the serpent was condemned and judged and through the seed of the woman, a savior would come. Remember, we had the prophecy there way back in Genesis chapter 3. And then after Noah, through his son Shem, the promise of a blessing, we now have the story beginning to unfold that is essentially the story of the rest of the Bible. And it begins with one man, one important Bible character, you know him as Abraham. God hasn't changed his name yet. His name is Abram. He's a very important figure in the history of Israel and in the history of the church, as you'll see later on. And essentially, now that we have this broad panoramic view of how we got this far, we are now about 2,000 years before Christ. And we have the nation spreading out after the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. And then if you look there on your page, you'll see, starting with verse 10, the account of the genealogy of Shem. This is the son of Noah that receives the blessing. And through whom the children of Israel come, and through ultimately King David, and through David's lineage will come Jesus the Messiah, the promised Redeemer to save mankind from his sin. You'll see then that it's a detailed genealogy. And I'll let you read that on your own time. It reads like all the genealogies basically, although you might be struck by the fact that there's a couple things happening. The lifespan of men on earth is diminishing. Instead of having these hundreds and hundreds of year long lifespans, we're down to only about 400 years now. And even by the end of the genealogy, as you work through it, you'll see that, for example, when we get to our guy Abraham, he's only going to live 150 years. By the time we get to Joseph, at the end of the book of Genesis, he only lives 110 years. And we would say only, but compared to 900 years, it's only. And you also see in this genealogy that they're beginning to have their families at a younger age. Instead of living 80 or 100 years before they have a son or so forth, they live 35 years and they're having their families. And that's interesting, too, because when we get in our story of Abram, you're going to see that at 75 years of age, he still doesn't have any children. And that's a really important ingredient in our story that we're going to see. What I'd like to do to, to get the context here now is I'd like to read the last part of chapter 11, beginning with verse 26, where we're cutting into the end of Shem's genealogy. And I would like then to go through verse 9 of chapter 12. Our text this morning is basically the story of Abram in chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. But we need to just lay a little bit of historical groundwork so that you know where we're coming from with Abram. Abram's story is huge, and, it's, and we're going to deal with it a lot more in the chapters ahead. And so today we're just getting introduced to Abram, and we're going to see how God calls him, separates him out, and begins to do a work through him. Let's begin now in chapter 11 of Genesis beginning with verse 26, because this then is uh, uh, Abram's uh, direct lineage here. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And this is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, 
Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So now you have kind of the context of Abraham's family background. Don't be confused by the fact that, that Terah has a son, a brother of Abram named Haran, but then they also moved from Ur to Haran, okay? And uh, so there's a, a guy named Haran in that account, and there's a city named Haran or a place named Haran, and don't be confused by that. A couple little details in what we just read there that the author, Moses, is kind of cluing us in he doesn't give us a lot of details, but he's setting the stage for some events that are going to happen in the future. One important event is that Sarai is barren. That's going to come up later. Very important part of the story. Another part of the story is that Haran dies. And, and his son, Lot, so Abram's brother Haran has a son named Lot, so that would be Abram's nephew Lot, comes to live with Abram and Sarai because his father dies. So he stays with his grandfather, Terah, and his uncle, Abram, and lives with them. In just a few weeks, we're going to have some very interesting messages that pertain to Lot and, and his story and how he enters into the scene here as well. So there they are. Now let's read our text that we're really going to focus on today after we lay a little bit more groundwork here for you. Chapter 12 now, verse 1 through 9. And the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he sent out from Haran. And he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. We'll stop there this morning in our story. And what I'd like to do so that we can meet Abram, kind of understand better who he is, I would like us to see six things, six dynamics, six characteristics of God's call on Abram's life. 
When Abram intercepts and is interrupted by the word of God, his life is totally redirected. It reads relatively simple. We know, many of you know the story quite well. And I think we miss the profound way that God's word comes in and intercepts Abram's life and totally redirects it. Six things about the call on Abram's life. The first one I want you to see, and with this one we'll still learn a little bit more about what's happening in Abram's background. But point number one about God's call, God's plan for Abram's life, number one, was redefining. It was a redefining quality in his life. And what do I mean by that? To find out a little bit more about Abram growing up in Terah's household in Ur of the Chaldeans, let's turn to Joshua chapter 24. That's not too far ahead in your Bible. It's the first book past the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua and chapter 24. And General Joshua has lived his whole life. He has taken the children of Israel, Israel out of the wilderness into the promised land that was promised here in this passage by, to Abram by God. But in chapter 24, as Joshua is ending his life, he makes a speech to the nation of Israel. And this is what he says. And as he gives an account of their history, he fills us in on a detail that we don't get in Genesis chapter 11. Joshua 24, begin with verse 1. Notice what it says. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. See, Abram was just there, and he built an altar there. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Verse 2, And Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river, now notice the next phrase, and worshipped other gods. Isn't that interesting? You can just stop there for now. That's enough information. Back to chapter 12 of Genesis. All right, so the details are coming together. We know about Ur of the Chaldeans. Archaeologists tell us that Ur was a great city at this time. It was located in what would be now southern Iraq, up above the Persian Gulf. It was a, it was a thriving metropolitan area. It was a leading city of the day. Some of us sometimes think in terms of these Bible characters living in very primitive conditions. They really lived in very advanced cities. The arts, the sciences, mathematics, astrology and astronomy were big. They had a great understanding of their world. They were very intellectual. They were very gifted. They were very talented. They were very developed with established cities laid out by uh, architects and surveyors and very precise developed cities. And this is where... Terah was born and grew up and where he raised his family, and it says they served other gods. We also know from the research of archaeologists and other historians that Ur was known not only as a thriving metropolitan area, but it was known as a place, a religious center, one of the key religious cities for, for a cult that worshipped the moon. Isn't that interesting? So here's little Abram growing up in Father Terah's home, worshiping the moon. And think about that. Abram, come. We must pray to the moon now. Abram, we must give a sacrifice to the moon. 
and on it goes. And all of the residuals and the connections and the, the trappings that go along with cultic, mystic, uh, astrology-type worship. Living in fear. Living according to these codes and these, these pagan priests and, the, and what they bring upon the people. And there's Abram. As you think about the broad picture of the Bible at this time, one of the things we're thinking is this is many generations now, this whole genealogy of Shem, following Noah, somewhere along the line, a daddy stopped telling his son about God and about Grandpa Noah and about how God destroyed the sinfulness of the world and how God wanted man to follow him. And I take it, following the Tower of Babel there, when the, the nations were spread out, the peoples are spread out, the, the languages of the world are established that as many of these people spread out, they walked away from God as well. They, they were far from God at Babel and they stayed far from God. Also in the bigger picture of Scripture, it is true that there were some godly people living at this time. Evidently, Terah was not one of them. This is the time of Job, when Job lived in this time or even a little bit before this. And we know that Job was a godly man there's an interesting verse in Ezekiel, I believe it is, that mentions three godly men of old, Noah, Daniel, and Job. And many Bible students think that that Daniel, because of the spelling of the Hebrew name Daniel, is not the Daniel in our Bible that we know, but it was another well-known man that somehow they knew that was like Job and lived about this time. There, are, there were some godly men, but Terah and Abram were not them. They worshipped the moon. Ur was a very pagan city. I want us to turn to one more text in our New Testament this time that also sheds a little bit, light, little bit of light on how Abram came to encounter God and how his life was transformed by hearing the word of God when God spoke to him. This is in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 we were at the last part of the book of, of, of Acts 7 in prayer meeting Wednesday night and the martyrdom of Stephen as we talked a little bit about what it's like one minute after you die in prayer meeting and we're talking about heaven and so forth. But in the beginning of Acts chapter 7, I want you to see that Stephen, this great preacher of the gospel, this is where he's going to preach a sermon and Acts chapter 7 is basically word for word of his message which is basically the history of Israel, that by the time he gets to the current day where he is, he's condemning the religious leaders of Israel, saying that they nailed Messiah to the cross and they killed all the prophets. Those guys grind their teeth, come at Stephen and kill him. And we have the story in the end of chapter 7 of Acts of the first martyr of the church. In the beginning of chapter 7, when Stephen is starting out on this message, he's going to give us a little more insight about, guess who? Abram, look what he says. Acts chapter 7, and we'll just jump in at verse 2. To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Isn't that interesting? Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God said to, sent him to this land where you are now living. 
and so forth. We'll stop there. And, and Stephen is building a case for the history of Israel and how God is at work in the life and lineage of Shem through Abraham up to the Messiah and that they've missed the point. That's why Stephen's preaching the message. He ends up giving his life for this one message. Insightful to us is this. Here's Abram growing up in his father Terah's house in Ur of the Chaldeans where they worship the moon, where there are a bunch of pagans, and we don't know any of the details, but it was while they were still in Mesopotamia in Ur of the Chaldeans that God himself appeared to Abram, it says. We don't know exactly what he said other than what's recorded for us in chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, 2 and 3 there. And this is the introduction to what Bible students call the Abrahamic covenant. We're not going to flesh this out today because he goes in greater detail in upcoming chapters in 15 and 18. He's going to tell us a lot more about this covenant that God makes with Abraham that is a lasting covenant to all people. What we just read is that God showed up in Mesopotamia at Ur. Here's moon-worshipping Abram. We have only to believe. Now, we don't know what was going through his mind, do we? Maybe when he was worshipping the moon. Maybe when he was a young man growing up because he's 75 years old when he leaves. But I take it that he worshipped along with his father in all their pagan rituals. Maybe in his heart somehow he thought, that moon ain't doing much for me. I don't think that moon really has any power. And maybe somehow he was seeking and searching. But all we know is that by the sovereign grace of God, he chose Abram through whom to bring the line of the Messiah. He had brothers, he chose Abram. He didn't choose Nahor. And we know from Acts chapter 7 where Stephen preached that God himself appeared to Abram. How did he appear? What did he look like? Well, when he came to Moses in the wilderness, remember Moses was out tending his sheep? And when God called him, how did God speak to him? Through a burning bush. Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And the bush speaks out of the bush. How did God speak to Abram? We don't know. But it says not only did he speak to him, but he appeared to him. I would take this to be nothing other than what we would call a theophany. A theophany would be an Old Testament pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, the second member of the Godhead. We call him a Christophany too. A theophany is God in the flesh, where God comes and appears to a man before he was born as Jesus in Nazareth through Mary. We don't know, we can only speculate, but there's Abram in pagan Ur, worshiping the moon, and God appears to him, and God speaks to him, and this is what he says to him. I will make you a, into a great nation, and I will bless you, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so you see, as he grew up there and now as he turns and follows God and believes God based upon the word of God to him, this call of God, this plan of God for Abram, number one, is a redefining of his whole world. Don't you see that? It was a redefining of his whole world. Well, we've pretty well got the historical basis down now. We'll pick it up a little bit. This is such an interesting story in Abram's life. Secondly, I want you to see that the plan of God, not only is it redefining for his whole life, 
But number two, I want you to see that it's an all-encompassing plan. It's an all-encompassing plan that God has for Abram. Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 12. And the Lord had said, we know now that the word had in the NIV there is important. He had said it way back in Ur. Through his father Terah, they only got as far as Haran. And then it wasn't until his father Terah dies that Abram finally launches into his full faith obedience and heads to the promised land. But it says there, Abram, leave your country your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. This is interesting, isn't it? You talk about all-encompassing. You could almost think of it as like there's this big base. The base is your country. Abraham, Abram, leave your country. I love my country. Leave your country. On top of that, I want you to leave all your people. What do you mean? Leave my peeps? Leave my people? Come on. I got, I got all kinds of connections. Abraham, no doubt. Abram at this time, no doubt, is a successful businessman. All of his people. Leave all your connections. Leave all of your friendships. All of your distant relatives. Everything that you know that is comfortable to you. But thirdly, I want you to leave your father's house. This is evidently the message that he got at Ur of the Chaldeans. I want you to see how hard it is to obey God and carry out God's plan for your life when it means leaving your family because he doesn't. He sticks with his father. His father decides they can move to Haran, but this is an all-encompassing call on Abraham's life. I think that's very interesting. There's a testimony there. When God calls us, he doesn't call just part of us. You ever notice that? He wants all about us. He wants all of us. God's plan for Abraham's life was redefining from paganism to following the one true God, it was not only redefining, but it was all-encompassing. His country, his people, his family, leave it all behind, Abram. Thirdly, I think it's only logical then, at this point, that it's an agonizing call. The call of God on Abraham's life at this point is agonizing. How do you do this? Look what happens here i got to leave everything I've built for 75 years. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm familiar with. This is the way we do things. I don't want to leave it. And I think he agonized. How do you go about telling your wife about this stuff? How do you go about telling your neighborhood, hey, we're leaving. Where are you going? I don't know. Secondly, I think not only is it agonizing, but it's an amazing call. Number four, it's an amazing call. Not secondly, but it's an amazing call. Redefining, all-encompassing, agonizing, because somewhere along the line, he's the one that's got to wake up in the morning and say to everybody, today we're leaving. Based upon my understanding of God's word, we're going. Agonizing, but amazing, because look what it says. I'll make you into a great nation. I mean, I got this picture in my mind. I don't know what it was like. But here's Abram, and he comes home, and he's met with God, and God has spoken his word to him. And he's got to tell his wife, honey, Sarai, baby, fix me a cup of tea, would you? Get yourself a cup of tea. Let's sit down at the table here. We got to talk. Well, Sarai loves that because Abram never wants to talk. He's a husband. And so he sits down and says, let's talk. Let's just talk. Wow, what's got into this guy? Get their cup of tea out. Honey, 
I have news for you. Amazing news, he said. It's amazing. I have been told by God. Now, you don't know this, God. It's not the moon, and it's not the sun, it's not the stars, it's not the river. It's the true God. I have been told by God that God is going to make a nation out of me, and he's going to bless us. Uh-huh. How, how do you tell your wife this stuff? Honey, you need to know. God told me. I said, well, who is this guy? Is this my husband? Has he lost his ever-loving mind? It's such an amazing story. Hey, look what he says. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. And honey, you need to know that we're going to be blessed. And, and if anybody curses us, God's going to get them. He's going to protect us. Oh, and by the way, Sarai, did I tell you? We're leaving. We're going to move. Oh, where are we moving? I have no clue. We're just going. And we're going to load everything up and we're leaving. How you know when you're going to get there? I don't know. We'll just know. Amazing. Not only is it amazing, but number five, God's call on Abram and his plan for Abram is more than amazing. It is confusing. Let's turn to Hebrews 11. It's a good time to fill in the last little snippet we know. That one of the main things that we know, there are other passages that we'll be looking at in the future because there's more details about Abram. But Hebrews 11 has more to say about Abram as a man of faith than any other character in this faith hall of fame in chapter 11. Hebrews 11, look at verse 8, and look what it says about Abraham here. They're already calling him, they're calling him Abraham here. His name gets changed. We'll get there in Genesis. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, when, he, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went... Look at the next phrase. Even though he did not know where he was going. How do you do that? What does that look like? I think that's why he had such a stutter step getting going. How does he go to his father and say, Father, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving our country. I'm leaving all my businesses. I'm leaving everything. Sarah and I, and I'll take Lot with me, we're going. Well, where are you going, son? Well, God told me to go to the land of Canaan, where the Canaanites are. Yeah, them are real distant cousins of yours, boy. You know, your great, 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 great Uncle Ham. Remember all his kids down there. Our great, great, great grandfather's Shem. It was his brother and all his boys. They went down to Canaan. Bad dudes down there. You don't want to go down there. How do you say that to your father? And I don't think he did. And I wonder if God cut Tara's life off short at 205 years so that Abram would be freed, freed from the connection of his family. I don't know. I speculate about that. Sarah's still sitting at the table with her cup of tea, looking at Abram. You don't know where we're moving, and we're moving? And you want me to go with you? Yes, ma'am. By the way, Sarai, did you hear the part of the story where we're going to be a great nation? Abram, I heard that part of the story. I need to explain to you something. We don't have children. We don't have children. Don't you get it? I don't know. Abram cannot explain this. It had to be confusing. What an incredible, incredible story. We read over this stuff, but this is a guy's life. 
This is a guy's whole world that's turned upside down when he encounters God and has a clear word from God. This is the way it is. Ultimately, we see through 4 and 5, look at the interesting phrase at the beginning of verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. You got to love that phrase, don't you? So Abram left as the Lord told him. And what an adventure begins now. He goes down into Canaan. You'll notice that twice he worships. At one of those worship encounters, the Lord appeared to him. He calls upon the name of the Lord. God, through his Holy Spirit, evidently is giving him a growing understanding of who he is and and how he's to live. And so number six, I see God's plan and call on Abram's life as ultimately being exciting and motivating. Don't you think that somewhere down the line, as Abram lived out God's plan for his life, he looked back and he thought, man, life was pretty boring back in Ur compared to what we've been doing now. He's going to get into all kinds of things. It's quite a story, isn't it? We need to just kind of stop our text right there because it's going to take me several minutes to make application for us that I think is so obvious from this first part of the story. We've met Abram. We know that he was a pagan moon worshiper. We know that he had an encounter with the Word of God and it totally redirected his life. How do we take this home with us this week? How do we apply this part? We definitely can see that Abram's whole life was redefined by the Word of God. It was an all-encompassing call. It was an agonizing, amazing, confusing, and yet exciting and motivating call. Listen, the will of God is usually not a boring place to be. It usually really keeps you on your toes. One of the great misunderstandings of the will of God is that God's out to ruin your good times. The guys that I know who have really given up everything like Abram did, country, family, people, and really given themselves over to God's call are guys like Steve McKenzie and Alvin Hall. You ought to sit around a dinner table and hear the stories that they can tell. And when's the last time the French army met or, or uh, helicoptered you guys out of the middle of a war zone? See how boring it is? God's will take you places you never dreamed. I think it's interesting, though, the points of application that come out of this. There's a couple things that we need to turn to one more text in the New Testament, Galatians in chapter 3, because I want to show you something in our first point of application. Because coming out of this story, the first line of application is to America and to the world. It's to America and the world. You say, well, America's not listening, Pastor Van. They're right here, I know. But if they want to click on our website, I have a message for them. Okay? Now click on, listen to this message. The first application is to America and the world at large. You say, well, that's a little bodacious. Well, it's the word of God. It's not me. It's right there. But turn to Galatians chapter 3 and let me show you something about who you are today if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 26, it might surprise you to know that you are of the household of Abram, Abraham, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are one of the promised heirs. You are one to whom this covenant that God made makes application. And it's still good today. Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sin was covered by the blood of Christ. You knew you needed a Savior. You knew you were stuck in sin. And Jesus died on the cross for your sin and you accepted his forgiveness. Through his shed blood, you are made a son of God, a child of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.26, verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's that reality of being immersed and identified with Christ. You are now robed in the righteousness of Christ. You are covered, immersed in Christ. No longer you. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's what baptized there means. Identified with. We symbolize it in water baptism. There is neither, verse 28, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel is of equal value to all people everywhere. And we're all of equal worth. There is not one person on this earth, male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, that God died for more than another person. So when you walk past people at Walmart, you need to know God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for that person as much as he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And this includes everybody. And he says... If you belong to Christ then, if you are born again and your sin is forgiven, you're part of the family of God, if you belong to Christ, verse 29, notice this, this is incredible, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Did you get that? Then Genesis chapter 12 is a promise that is good in your life. The church is part of Abraham's family. Yes, God is going to do a specific work in Israel. And that work is set aside right now for the church. Israel is the, are the children of promise. The church is the children of promise. Spiritually speaking, we are the same as those who sprang from Abraham's loins. Isn't that interesting? And so the first application I want to make out of this passage, as I said, is to America and to the world, and it is this. Do not miss the blessing of God by abusing Israel or the church. You follow me? There are many nations and many people, and there is even a turning in our own country today to disregard Israel and to not take care of them. There are countries that are sworn to the annihilation of Israel, and God says, if you curse Israel, I'll curse you. You think it's by mistake that Allied bombers leveled off Germany in World War II? You can't do what Hitler did to the Jews and for God to look the other way. It won't happen. And in the spiritual sense, the church, as the promised heirs of Abraham, are under this same blessing. You cannot spit on the church and ultimately not come under God's wrath. You bless Israel, you bless the church, God will bless you. I'm afraid for the political leadership in our own country that is afraid of the church today. Our president went to Georgetown University this past Monday, and when he stood up to speak in a chapel there, they took, they took sheets and they covered all of the images of Christ and the cross before he would speak in the room. That is a fact. Listen. You cannot disregard God's people 
You cannot say, we are not a Christian nation and I don't care about the church and diminish all of this and diminish a relationship with Israel and think that God is going to bless your program. You will be under the curse of God. You say, Pastor Van, you are, you're crazy. I'm not crazy and I didn't make it up. I read it in the Bible and the Bible is true. First application to America and to the world. Don't miss the blessing by disregarding Israel and the church. Well, very quickly, there's some other applications that are very important here. Second application is to Christians at large. Isn't Abraham, Abram, isn't he a marvelous picture of a Christian on his pilgrim journey? Do you know that we're aliens and strangers in this earth? Do you know that a good word for a Christian that we should be much more comfortable with is pilgrim? It would be totally appropriate to greet each other in the foyer at church. Hey, pilgrim, how you doing? And I don't mean like John Wayne. Hey, pilgrim. Howdy, pilgrim. What's a pilgrim? A pilgrim is somebody who's on a journey just passing through to get to where they're going. And this isn't it. We're not there yet. And we're on a journey, and our spiritual walk is a, is a journey. And it is entirely based upon the reliability of God's word to us, just like Abram. He was on a journey that was based on one thing. He had a reliable word from God, and he was going to carry it out. That's us. Abram is a great model of faith to us, isn't he today? You know God's word. Are you paying attention to God's word? Are you living out God's word? Ah, oh, it's too hard. It's too this. It's too that. It's not harder than doing what Abram did. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Some of us, our prayer needs to be, Lord, enlarge my faith. Help me to walk more by faith and not by sight. The reliability of God's word is enough for you to keep going on your pilgrim journey like Abram. Get to the promised land. But thirdly, I think there's an application here to parents this morning. I really believe that though Hebrews doesn't give any details and it totally lists Abram as a successful man of faith, I really believe that the fact that God spoke to Abram in Ur of the Chaldeans and that we don't know how many years later, after moving to Haran with Terah, his father, he finally is willing to go. He hiccuped. He stutter-stepped. And I wonder how much was the unwillingness of Terah, maybe because he had already lost one son. Lot's father, Haran, had died. I wonder if he didn't want his other boy to leave. Parents, one of the applications today about God's call and God's plan for the lives of your children is that you have to be careful not to stand in the way of what God wants to do with them. Is it easy? No, it's not easy to say goodbye to your children. To say goodbye to parents? Go have lunch with Carolyn McKenzie and ask her what she goes through every time Stephen and Kirsten and the grandkids get on the plane and head back to Central Africa. You don't have to be worried about where God's going to send you. You might not do that. But don't be afraid of God's will. And parents, don't try to over-direct your children apart from what God might have planned for them. I don't know how many times through the years as I've lived all of my adult life, a minimum of 600 miles away from my mom and dad, all of the birthdays, all of the anniversaries, many, most of the Christmases, Easter's, Fourth of July's, opening day of buck season, 
getting to go ice fishing when the crappies are biting in Michigan. My dad's out there slaying them, and I call him on the phone. Dad, I wish I was there. No, he'd say, you're right where you're supposed to be. My mom and dad released us to serve where God called us to serve. How can you serve successfully? How can you fulfill God's will if you've got family holding you back, tying you down, keeping you going? I was reminded of this concept as I put this together of Scott Myers. We mentioned his dad, Leroy Myers, who's the builder in Hagerstown, and their boy was just killed in that motorcycle wreck. They just had their funeral this past Tuesday morning. His older brother, Scott, has been with the family business there. Leroy's a very successful builder, hugely successful in Hagerstown, commercial building. He went up to this retreat, and he was with a guy, and he really had come to grips with a decision. Scott, Leroy's son, was telling us this in prayer meeting just a few weeks ago, where he had said, Lord, I'm finally willing to go and do whatever you want. And he wants to coach, he wants to teach kids, he wants to disciple teenagers, and he made a commitment to become a part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes and to give up the business and to become a full-time supported missionary and be a regional director for Fellowship of Christian Athletes and try to penetrate our high school and college campuses in this area. That happened on Friday and Saturday. On Monday morning, he walked into his dad's office to tell his dad he's going with fellowship and he's going to quit the business. And his dad says to him before he can talk, son, I wanted to talk to you. I think it's time for you to take over the business. This is a multi-million dollar, this is a very successful business. Well, Dad, I needed to talk to you. Isn't that interesting? And thankfully, Leroy said, son, if that's God's will for your life, you go. That's a good dad. He spent his whole life building a business. He's got one responsible son that can take the business, and his son wants to go hang out in weight rooms on high school gyms and tell, tell kids about Jesus and let the business go to pot. Yeah, go do it. Go do it. Parents, let your kids go. If God has his hand on them for whatever, finally, seniors, not finally, two more real quick. Seniors, first application to America and the world, second to Christian at large on our pilgrim journey, thirdly to parents and God's call on our children, fourthly to seniors. You say, 75 wasn't old for Abraham, for Abram? Listen, I would say that 75 was very mature based upon the age that they were starting to have children and based upon the fact that he, Abram dies at 150. Abraham dies at 150. The lifespan is shortening. I think 75 was old. We also know later on when God's going to give him a child through whom he's going to bring about his, the nation, remember Sarai laughs about it. They're 100 years old at the time, and at age 100, Paul describes them in Romans as as good as dead. And Hebrews does too. Their bodies were as good as dead at 100. Well, at 75, he wasn't doing pull-ups anymore. The fourth application is to seniors, and it is this. You don't get too old for God to interrupt and redirect your lives. I don't know how he wants to do that. I don't know what he wants you to do. But I want to tell you something. A lot of you need to get retirement off the brain. And you need to get service for the king in the church on the brain. You need to figure out, how is God going to use me in my old age? You know, I was talking to my mother-in-law in the hospital the other day. She's doing some better. She's home, and thankfully she doesn't have cancer in her lung. We thought maybe she did, and so forth. And I was talking to her. We were there. And I was talking about how, how quickly you get to be 70 years old. 
and then basically you fall apart and it's kind of over. And I was thinking, isn't that interesting? We live all our life, we finally get to where we know something and then we die. What a shame to waste the last few years of your life not passing on to the next, gener next generation what you finally figured out. Let God use you, seniors, finally to young people and to everyone. And I borrow this phrase from leadership guru in the Christian world, John Maxwell. When he teaches on this passage, he said, you will never move up until you give up. You will never move up until you give up. It seems so hard for Abram to leave everything, right? To leave country, to leave family, people, father's household. But look what God gave him. Don't you think when Abram looked back, he thought, what an adventure it's been. If he never had taken that step to leave home out of obedience, you have to give up some things. I have a good friend who gave up a football scholarship under Joe Paterno at Penn State University to follow God's will. I could tell many stories of people who gave up opportunities. Why? Because God was redirecting them, intercepting them, changing their course of direction. Young people, listen to me. You do not have to be afraid to yield yourself and surrender to the will of God. It is a life of blessing. Yes, there's burdens. Yes, there's difficulty. You're out there on a donkey with no headlights heading to a place you've never been and don't even know where you're going. That's weird. And that's not easy. And you wonder why you ever left home sometimes. But if you'll persevere and let God take you where he wants to take you, you'll look back someday with no regrets. Letting God work in your life. Young people, listen. You'll have to give up some things. You have to give up some things to be what God wants you to be. Let's bow in prayer. Well, I wonder if Abram's testimony impacts your life at all this morning. I guess first and most foremost is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you a, are you a, a great grandchild of Abraham, spiritually speaking. Through his descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ, have you cast your cares on him and accepted that free gift of salvation? I encourage you to think about that and by faith, believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sin today, accept him as your Lord and Savior. He'll change your life. Could be there's some anti-Semites in the audience, people who, some reason you've been raised up to despise Israel. You need to knock that nonsense off today. You need to realize that God has a purpose and a plan working through Israel and that that's a promise that exists today. And we need to pray for Israel. Might be some seniors here that are really looking forward to going collecting seashells on the beach somewhere. And God needs to redirect you today. Some parents that need to loosen their grip. You've never really surrendered your children to God and said, okay, Lord, they're yours. You do with them whatever you want. Might be some young people that you got, you got your plan all put together. 
you're so cool and you're so packaged and you know exactly what you're supposed to do. You even know what kind of car you're going to drive here in another year. And you've never been at a place in your life where you've said at age 14, 15, 16, 17 right now, and you've said, Lord, I don't know what it is, but this morning, like Abram, I'm going to tell you, I'll go and do and be whatever you want me to be. I'll leave it up to you to figure out the details. You don't even know what a surrendered life is. You're so burdened down with trying to be like everybody else around you. I challenge you, take the, take the challenge today to surrender yourself to, to Christ as never before. Father, thank you for this text and this example in Abram. I pray that you will accomplish your purposes in us through your spirit. I pray that we'll know the joy of obedience, the blessing of a surrendered life. In Jesus' name I pray.